Now, as you may know, 2009 is BP's centenary year. In April, we'll be celebrating our 100th birthday as a company, and we'd like to begin today by sharing with you a short trailer for the film produced to mark that anniversary. This story starts on the 26th of May, 1908, in a place called Majin i Suleiman, in the southwest of a country that was then called Persia. It was a crucial moment for a small group of explorers who'd been looking for oil all over the territory for six years. sort of photo of a mud flat with some palm trees on it that became our dad. It's peaceful and hot, stinking hot. When we were out in the field, <coughs> we got up at five in the morning on these road reconnaissance surveys that we went on. They were about um, six months. After all, this is big country. instinctively turned to Abaddon, that monument to British enterprise and engineering skill. Forced to abandon what we had created in the wilderness, is it too much to hope that we shall see once more the tankers of Britain at Abaddon? And the day came and we were escorted out and sent out got onto the Mauritius with many of my Iranian graduates in tears and never thought it would happen. It's the beginning of a new kind of treasure hunt miles out here in the North Sea. Magnus, costliest single structure in British industrial history, in Japan. Between Canada and Siberia, feet in the Pacific, and ahead in the Arctic lies Alaska. BP's geologists had put them in the right place, and they proved to be very lucky indeed with their bids. Meanwhile, areas of the world where oil was cheaper and easier to get at were becoming inaccessible for different reasons. Politics. OPEC said, well, this is the price that oil's got to be. Um, take it or don't take it. I was suddenly sent for by Heath. Oh, he asked me, is it possible for BP to supply the whole of the UK requirements, 100%? And I said, yes, certainly. But if we were to do so, we'd have to cut supplies to other European countries. We bought uh, Arco, Amico, Sohio, uh, and that was an enormous collection. We'll be the largest producer of oil in the non-OPEC world. All these oligarchs were in formation. There's only one way to um, deal with that sort of issue, and that's to confront it head on. A hundred years on, the core of the business hasn't really changed that much. The spirit of BP is today exactly the same as it was then. 
Thank you. I hope you all found that at least of some interest. And uh, <laughs> moving back today, during the presentation, we will, as usual, be making some forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ from plans or forecasts for a number of reasons, such as those noted on this slide and also in our SEC filings. Thank you. And now, over to Tony. <coughs> Thanks, Fergus. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. It's great to see so many of you here. I hope that whetted your appetite a little bit. The, uh, the film's going to premiere on the 1st of April. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. It'll go on general release on the 2nd of April. Uh, it, it does tell the story of BP, I would say, warts and all, over the last 100 years. It, of course, tells the history of the 20th century as well. It's a fascinating reminder of the last 100 years. Uh, it was produced and directed by Nigel Williams, completely independent of BP. Um, He's more famous, for those of you who don't know, for directing and producing the film Elizabeth. So I do commend it to you. Uh, anyhow, enough of that. It's a great pleasure to see you all here today. And to those of you on the web or telephone, thank you for joining us for our 2009 strategy presentation. I think you all know the team, but for those of you who can't see, I have alongside me Byron Grote, our CFO, Andy Ingalls, head of E&P, Ian Conn, Head of Refining and Marketing, and Vivian Cox, Head of Alternative Energy. We're living in challenging and volatile times. I think that goes without saying. Part of our objective today is to show you how BP intends to respond to the current environment and to outline how we continue to continue to grow in the future. As we've just seen, next month marks a special moment in the history of the company. It's our 100th anniversary, 100th years since BP as a company was born. In looking back over that century, one thing is clear. Whilst today's challenges are very real, we've overcome far worse situations in the past. We have good reason, therefore, to face the future with confidence. BP has been and remains an organisation operating at the frontiers of the energy industry. Our technology and capability allow us to take on challenges that others are unable or unwilling to address, securing access to new resources now as in the past, from Iran 100 years ago to the Beaufort Sea today. One of BP's special characteristics is that we believe deeply in relationships based on mutual advantage. That was true in 1909 when the company brought together investors, local people and governments to develop the resources of Iran, and it's true in 2009, from Angola to Azerbaijan and Muscat to Moscow. We're proud of that track record. But that's enough of the past. Today's presentation is about the future. We plan to talk for about 90 minutes, and then there'll be plenty of time for Q&A, both from the live audience and from those of you down the wires. A year ago, as a new team, we laid out our strategy. Both remain unchanged. We aim to grow our upstream business, to turn around our downstream business, and to make focused and disciplined investments into alternative energy, and to simplify and drive greater efficiency across BP. In a few minutes, Ian and Andy will update you in detail on our progress and our plans. But before that, I'd like to bring you up to date on the progress that BP as a whole has made since the start of 2008, beginning with safety. 2008 was another year of progress on our number one priority of safe, compliant, and reliable operations. 
Fatalities were the lowest since the BP Amoco merger in 1999, with five deaths in 2008, compared with seven in 2007. This was still five too many, and we are relentless in pursuit of no fatalities. As the graph shows, the number of major incidents involving integrity failures has continued to decrease, and our track record continues to improve. We remain focused on process safety and asset reliability. We've begun the implementation of our operating management system, which covers everything from employee competencies to risk assessment, and we're already seeing the benefits. We're building capability with extensive training programs, such as the Operations Academy, developed in partnership with MIT. We're intent on establishing a track record that is the very best in our industry. 2008 has seen us build operational momentum across the group. In EMP, we successfully grew production in line with guidance, the only one of the majors to do so. Underlying production, excluding the effects of high oil prices on our entitlements under production sharing contracts, was up 5%. We started up nine major projects and made good progress on controlling costs. We also delivered our 15th consecutive year of reported reserve replacement of more than 100% and resource replacement of more than 200%, a performance that puts us amongst the best in the industry. In refining and marketing, we've rebuilt full economic capability at both the Texas City and Whiting refineries. The fuels value chains are now fully established, and our international businesses delivered a very strong performance despite the world economic slowdown. We've also made significant progress in simplifying our marketing footprint. And we've begun to reduce the complexity and cost base of BP. By the end of 2008, we'd reduced our corporate overhead by around 3,000 people and are on track to exceed our original target of 5,000 by the middle of 2009. We've also eliminated nearly 20% of the senior positions. We're also seeing the first signs of financial momentum. Significantly, our 2008 results showed the greatest increase amongst our peers. All in all, we made progress in 2008 and expect to see further financial benefits as we move into 2009. Our goal is to maintain this momentum in what will be a challenging environment, and it's that environment I'd like to turn to next. <clears throat> as we all know, in 2008, oil prices were extremely volatile. They fell from a peak of $144 a barrel in early July to as low as $34 a barrel in December. The average for the year was $97 a barrel. In the short term, prices will be determined by a balance between OPEC cuts and the state of the global economy and demand for oil. While OPEC has announced production cuts totaling more than 4 million barrels a day since September, and so far, compliance seems to be good. These will take time to have an impact and are unlikely to be fully reflected in inventories before the second half of 2009. On the demand side, global oil consumption is likely to decline for a second consecutive year in 2009, probably by more than 1 million barrels a day, the largest amount since 1982. We therefore do not expect a quick recovery and it would be wise to be prepared for continued volatility, which may extend into 2010. Despite today's pessimism, the future has not been cancelled. 
merely delayed. Once economic growth recovers, we expect oil demand to recover as well. Countries outside the OECD contributed more than half of the total GDP growth in 2008 and will continue to do so in the future. As growth resumes, they will need more energy, including oil, to continue their rapid industrialization. Meanwhile, the growth in oil supply has been disappointing due to a combination of field maturity and constraints on access. Cuts in investment in response to the fall in prices will only make this worse. So the medium-term prospects for oil prices remains robust. Turning to natural gas, and beginning with the US, where we are one of the nation's largest producers, we've also seen prices fall sharply. We believe the US natural gas market is an efficient market and expect it to self-correct, albeit with some lag. The timing of the correction is uncertain. There are many variables influencing the market, so it's difficult to predict exactly when prices will improve. Demand is weak due to the economic slowdown and the timing of the U.S. economic recovery will be a key factor in underpinning U.S. gas prices. However, supply is responding quickly to low prices, with the rig count falling sharply since its peak in the third quarter of 2008, and it continues to fall. Based on the latest February rig count, the February rig count was just over 1,000, a level not seen since 2004. The actual impact on, of this on prices will obviously also depend on storage levels and LNG imports. In the rest of the world, gas prices are expected to be weak as the global downturn in industrial activity reduces demand and a number of major LNG plants start up in 2009. Refining margins are more volatile and perhaps more difficult to forecast. Margins increased steadily between 2002 and 2007, driven partly by tightening product specifications. However, 2008 was a more difficult environment for the industry, with BP's global average refining indicator margin falling to $6.50 a barrel, down from almost $10 a barrel in 2007. The fall in margins was greatest in the US, where BP has more than half of its refining capacity. In the short term, refining margins in early 2009 are seeing some support from very strong heating oil demand, but once the cold winter weather passes, margins are likely to weaken once again as demand softens and potential refining capacity additions approach 2 million barrels a day. Global capacity utilisation is expected to be around 83% in 2009. All in all, the pressure on refining margins look like, looks likely to continue in 2009. Of course, as in 2008, the picture may vary significantly from region to region, but tighter product specifications and the associated high operating costs imply a return to the lows of 2002 are less likely. So overall, we see a challenging environment, both upstream and downstream, in the short to medium term, and we're making plans accordingly. This difficult period could last some time. However, this should not blind us to the potential for improvement when the tide turns, and we plan to be ready for that too. In such a challenging environment, BP's commitment to technology is more important than ever. Technology plays a critical role in addressing the world's energy challenges, 
from fundamental research through to wide-scale deployment. Over the past 10 years, BP has been consistently building its internal technology capability. This means a sustained increase in investment and building focused leadership positions in those areas where we expect to get the biggest payback, where we can implement and make a difference at scale and transfer know-how across our operations. Our commitment to R&D is long-term. Our research collaboration provides access to the leading minds at the forefront of science and technology, particularly in areas that are relatively new to the energy sector, for example, biosciences and nanotechnology. And we work with a range of partners in R&D, from leading academic institutions to small startup companies. BP has 20 major technology programs, each of which has expenditure that generally runs into tens of millions of dollars. About two-thirds of our program relates to existing business in EMP and R&M, and one-third in alternative energy, consistent with the competitive advantage fossil fuels enjoy today and our expectations as we move towards creating new low-carbon energy opportunities for the future. Before I hand over to Ian, let me update you on TNKBP. 2008 was a challenging year with our partners. However, we believe we now have a solution supported by all parties. Most importantly, the revised shareholder agreement, which we signed on the 9th of January, retains the 50-50 ownership structure, a fundamental construct of our agreement that we were not willing to compromise on. It allows for an improved balance of interest between ourselves and AAR and puts the focus and emphasis of TNKBP on value growth. The new governance structure replaces the evenly balanced main board structure with four representatives from each of BP and AAR, plus three independent directors. The search for a new CEO is progressing and an announcement will be made in due course. Until that appointment is made, Tim Summers will continue in the role. The charters of significant TMKBP group subsidiaries and a number of other significant entities will be revised to reflect the new corporate governance, including, where appropriate, both BP and AAR-appointed directors on their boards. Ourselves and our partners remain committed to pursuing a potential future sale of up to 20% of TNKBP through an initial public offering at an appropriate time subject to certain conditions and the consent of the Russian authorities. All of this lays the foundation for the next phase in the development of TNKBP. The original premise for the foundation of TNKBP in 2003 was to combine AAR's ability to operate on the ground in Russia with BP's technology and capability. This combination has proven extremely successful. By any metric, TNKBP's operational performance has been outstanding since 2003. Production has grown 30%. The five-year average reserve replacement is around 200%. Proved reserves have increased from 1.8 billion barrels of oil equivalent to 3.6 billion barrels of oil equivalent. Total resources have increased from 11.6 billion barrels of oil equivalent to 18.9 billion barrels of oil equivalent, excluding Kavitka bringing the resource-to-production ratio to 56 years. And this has underpinned TNKBP's five-year average finding and development costs of less than $3 a barrel. The financial performance has been equally strong, 
Since 2003, TNKBP has generated total income exceeding $25 billion and distributed dividends exceeding $20 billion, whilst investing around $14 billion into future growth and paying more than $90 billion in taxes and excise duties. Return on capital employed is the highest in the Russian oil industry. 2008 was also another strong year. Production grew 1.5%, reserve replacement was 136%, and dividends paid were in excess of $4 billion. TNKBP is in good shape to address the short-term challenges in the industry. Capital is expected to be reduced in 2009 to around $3 billion to ensure the company remains self-financing. Production is expected to be broadly flat with the last few years. The weaker ruble is already resulting in lower costs and stronger cash flows. Changes to the fiscal regime will reduce the tax burden and the volatility of quarterly earnings. In the market conditions experienced so far in the first quarter of 2009, we expect TNKBP to return to profitability. We remain committed to TNKBP and to the opportunity the joint venture provides to continue to invest in a material way into the Russian oil and gas sector. Let me now hand over to Ian to update you on progress with the turnaround of the downstream. Thank you, Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to talk to you today and update you on progress in refining and marketing. As Tony has said, the turnaround of the downstream and closing the performance gap with our competitors is a key part of BP's strategy and also represents a real source of relative momentum. Today I'm presenting you with an interim update or, if you like, report card on that turnaround. I ended up my presentation last year by saying that in R&M, BP has very good asset positions, excellent people, and material opportunities for the long term. I'm even more convinced of that today. I also said that our job today is to close the competitive performance gap so that we can earn that future. One year into the R&M turnaround, I'm pleased with progress and believe we're well on track. In 2008, we've closed about half, or $2 billion per annum pre-tax, of the earnings performance gap <clears throat> and have good momentum going into 2009. I'm going to cover four things our 2008 performance and how we closed half the earnings gap, where we are in our turnaround journey and what to expect going forward, our portfolio and what we're doing to improve it, and our investment plans in 2009. So firstly, 2008 performance. A year ago, I outlined these five priorities to improve the performance of R&M. They're unchanged. What's shifting between 08 and 09 is the relative emphasis as we go through different phases of performance improvement. Our top priority at the center of this chart remains a focus on safety and progressive delivery of our operating management system, or OMS. 2008 was mainly about safe and reliable operations, restoring missing revenues, and simplifying the business across R&M. We've done exactly that. It was about creating a robust platform which can take some load and upon which we can drive further efficiency and continuous improvement. In 2009, the journey on safe operations continues, but in other areas, the emphasis shifts to the priorities of driving the right behaviors and core processes into the organization and the sustainable repositioning of our cost efficiency. 
I'd now like to explain the sources of underlying performance improvement in 08 and how the various parts of the portfolio contributed. This slide used last year portrays the size of the performance gap at a global indicator margin or GIM of $7.50 a barrel. As a reminder, we identified an underlying performance gap in earnings of $3.5 to $4 billion pre-tax per annum as represented by the left-hand section of the pie chart. In closing about half of this underlying gap in 08, the main contributors were, firstly, safety. Underpinning the reliability and margin capability of our operations, our safety performance has improved on nearly all input and output measures, and we've materially de-risked our operations. Four major manufacturing sites, two refineries, and two petrochemical plants are already operating under OMS, and many more cut over in 2009. As ever, there's much to do in this area. Secondly, refining operations. We've re-established full operation at Texas City and Whiting, and I was pleased to see over 91% Solomon availability globally from our refining portfolio in the fourth quarter, the highest level since Texas City shut down in 3Q05. Thirdly, simplification. As indicated a year ago, we've reorganized our refining and fuel supply and marketing businesses into six regional integrated fuels value chains and are well advanced in focusing our marketing footprint. Fourth, our margin capture capability across the portfolio has strengthened with excellent performance in our international businesses and strong supply optimization and trading. Lastly, costs. We've managed to fully contain our cost base despite material inflation higher energy costs, and adverse foreign exchange effects. This all represents a good start, underpins solid momentum as we enter 2009, and is something we can really build upon. So looking at this performance another way, let's turn to how the various parts of the portfolio actually did. A year on, I've updated this slide, which shows both pre-tax operating capital employed and pre-tax replacement cost profit for the main parts of our portfolio. I'd like to take them in turn, starting with the fuels value chains. <clears throat> Despite a challenging demand environment, pre-tax profits grew by $800 million in the fuels marketing and supply parts of the business to $2 billion through better integrated margin management across the whole chain, strong supply and trading performance, and close attention to costs. This was enabled by the considerable simplification of the way we run the business, through the implementation of integrated fuels value chains. We managed to capture margin in both marketing and trading in a very volatile price environment. Here, average capital employed fell from the effects of reduced working capital, the decapitalization of our convenience retail business in the US, and the significant movements in product prices. The pre-tax returns in this part of the value chains therefore improved materially. Looking forward to 2009, Full-year demand is likely to be down on last year, and we may not capture as much margin in a less volatile environment, <clears throat> and so currently I expect our marketing and supply results to be down on 2008. In refining, we've improved significantly in our operations, but it's been a very different story from a financial results perspective. Capital employed rose mainly as a result of the increase in the carrying value of the Toledo refinery in relation to the Husky transactions, and from the early investments in plant and equipment associated with the Whiting Refinery Modernization Project. 
Pre-tax earnings in refining fell from a profit of $1.2 billion in 07 to a loss of $700 million in 08, representing a $1.9 billion degradation. As mentioned at the time of our fourth quarter results, the global indicator margin rule of thumb deterioration year on year was $3.3 billion. Comparing these therefore gives a reasonable indication of the underlying improvement in our refining delivery, i.e. about $1.4 billion. Overall, our refineries did reasonably well in 08, and clearly with Texas City now operating and the new Castillon Coker operational, we further momentum as we move into 2009. Financially, much depends on margins, of course. This year, margins began strongly, but have weakened in the last fortnight. As Tony said, the outlook is not strong, and it's likely we'll see lower margin levels than in 2008. With Texas City on stream, better overall availability, and some cost efficiency, I'm hopeful we should still see refining return to profitability in 2009. Turning now to the international businesses, which consist principally of lubricants, our aviation and marine fuels business, and petrochemicals, we saw a really strong performance in 2008, despite the fourth quarter fall-off in petrochemicals margins and volumes. It's always worth remembering that refining and marketing contains a reasonably material petrochemicals portfolio, some 14 million tons of production in a typical year, which can make direct comparisons with our competitors a little more complex. International business pre-tax profits were up by one-third to $2 billion. This was driven by particularly strong performance in our global fuels and lubricants businesses and reasonable performance in petrochemicals for the year as a whole. In global fuels, we saw excellent optimization and management of price volatility, and this has been enhanced by strong customer service and brands and aggressive action on portfolio simplification. In lubricants, the quality of our products, the service we deliver to our customers, cost control, and the strength of our brands have allowed us to deliver an excellent result despite significant upward movement in base oil prices in the year. As we enter 2009, clearly the demand for the products of international businesses is being challenged by the economic situation, whether through reduced air travel, trading down from premium product in lubricants, or through a continuing very difficult environment in petrochemicals. The international businesses have been a performance mainstay of our portfolio over the last two years as we improve the underlying, the underlying performance in our fuels value chains. And I still expect reasonably good performance in 2009, despite a tough environment. So adding all this up, we earned $3.3 billion pre-tax, $600 million below the previous year. The environment was about $3.3 billion worse, for which the GIM rule of thumb is a reasonable guide. Once again, this indicates underlying performance improvement well in excess of $2 billion. So we've covered how the various parts of the portfolio have done in 08. Sticking with the format we used last year, I'd like to look at our overall competitive return on capital employed and why this performance improvement is not fully visible in our 2008 results. <clears throat> this chart of BP's ROSI relative to the competition shows that in 2008, we've only improved post-tax returns relative to the super-major competitor average by about 1%. A 1% improvement on returns represents only about $0.5 billion pre-tax. 
Two things affected our actual result in 2008. In the second half of the year, we experienced significant adverse one-off impacts from foreign exchange and the rapid fall in the price of oil, as I explained during our 4Q conference call. The second factor, which is of fundamental uh, importance and in nature, is the shift in regional refining margins between 2007 and 2008, and the extent to which this has affected BP disproportionately. This slide uh, shows on the left the regional refining margins for the U.S., Northwest Europe, and Singapore. On the right, the pie charts show the mix of BP's regional refining capacities relative to the average of our competitor set. The key point here is that more than half of BP's capacity is in the U.S. relative to about a third for our average competitor. As shown on the left, in 2008, the U.S. experienced a material refining margin decline in absolute terms versus the previous five years and a large relative decline compared to other regions that continued to experience year-on-year -year margin improvement. This decline in U.S. margins relative to the rest of the world was by far the largest we've seen in 20 years. As you saw in 4Q, this margin weakness and other factors drove our U.S. portfolio back into negative earnings territory. Using BP's regional margin methodology and comparing BP's resultant GIM to the average of the competitors shows that in 2008, BP experienced a relatively larger margin decline of approximately $1.5 a barrel. Using our rule of thumb, which this is equivalent to about $1.4 billion pre-tax RCP, it's this effect which has significantly masked the underlying performance improvement. This relative degradation in U.S. margins is not likely to be repeated from here, and I'm pleased to say that as we begin 09, as also indicated on the chart, U.S. margins to date have improved relative to 08 and relative to the other regions. If U.S. margins return to a more typical relationship versus other regions, we'll see a significant proportion of the performance improvement delivered in 2008 flow to the bottom line. Taken together with the competitive improvement you can see, and recognizing that there were other negative one-off factors in the second half of last year, I'm therefore confident we've closed about half the competitive gap, or about $2 billion in pre-tax earnings. So having covered 2008 delivery, I'd like to turn to the multi-year journey we're on, how specific elements of the sources of recovery I outlined last year are doing, and a sense of what you might expect going forward. A year ago, I indicated that over three to four years, we'd close the earnings performance gap, with about half of it coming from restoring revenues and refining, and then continuous improvement across the portfolio, about 20% coming from business simplification in our value chain and marketing businesses, and the remaining 30% coming from cost efficiency within our overheads and business support services. We've made material progress in all areas, with the efforts in restoring revenues and simplification delivering the first benefits to the bottom line. The more structural efficiency programs will take longer to implement. The ticks on the right-hand side of this chart are designed to qualitatively show progress to date. Let's focus on a few of these areas in a little more detail, looking at what we achieved in the first year of our journey and some indication of what one might expect in 2009. I'll start with restoring revenues and refining availability. 
This is the same chart I showed you last year, updated for 08. We've largely completed the activities associated with restoring our operations at Texas City and Whiting. On the left, you see that we are on track for restoring availability of Texas City, Whiting, and Toledo to strong competitive levels in 2009. Whiting came up as planned, and Toledo has seen a major step change in its performance. However, Texas City restoration took approximately three to four months longer than planned. We therefore achieved our targeted run rate at the end of 08, but our margin capture from availability during the year was worse than we'd planned for. There's therefore further revenue benefit to be captured in 2009. The rest of the refining portfolio had an excellent year overall, despite a few operational problems at Carson and Sapref in South Africa, and our availability and overall performance remained at very competitive levels. In the whole portfolio, eight refineries achieved availabilities of over 95%. On the right-hand side, you can see that the lost opportunity in a $7.50 environment has improved materially, with most of the gap closed at Whiting and Toledo. There remains a significant opportunity of over a billion dollars a year, most of which should be captured in 2009, now that Texas City is running at full economic capability. Having returned the plants to full operation, the focus will be on safety, better optimization, utilization, and cost efficiency. During our recovery efforts, we know we've become inefficient in our U.S. refining portfolio, and without taking our eye off the priority of safe operations, we need to drive more efficiency back into the business, particularly in our third-party supply chains. In business simplification, we're very much on track, and the fuel value chains have already generated real and material benefits. We're starting to see the results of reduced overheads, as well as more efficient and effective operations and channels of trade. However, our performance is not as good as the best competitor in some geographies. Having established these integrated fuels value chains, our focus is shifting to the capabilities, behaviors, and core processes to enhance our optimization and margin capture, and the cost efficiency of the supply chain and of our operations. The biggest opportunity for BP, therefore, lies in delivering fully competitive results from these integrated businesses. In U.S. convenience retail, despite a very challenging environment in terms of financing, We've sold 300 out of a total of 800 sites. 200 more sites are under firm contract, and the remaining 300 sites are expected to be sold in 2009, even in the current credit environment. We're finding that the AMPM convenience brand is a strong franchise, positioned a few places behind 7-Eleven in the U.S. top 500 rankings in 2008. In lubricants, we've exited 10 countries and are on track to reduce our direct presence in up to 30 in excess of our goal of 20 indicated last year. In AirBP, we've exited 32 countries to date, well ahead of our original plans. Our program goal here is to reduce our direct country operations from over 100 countries to approaching half that number without materially shrinking the business and improving returns. Turning now to headcount, last year as part of BP's overall headcount reduction target, I indicated we'd eliminate approaching 2,000 jobs in the first phase of simplification of refining and marketing. The left-hand chart indicates that although we're not complete, we have delivered this outcome by the end of 08, reducing our net headcount above retail by 2,150, and including growth in our refining headcount of about 300 
as we continue to build operational capability at the front line. There's significantly more room to travel in 2009, with over another 1,000 headcount reduction likely. I also committed to reduce our senior management headcount by 15%. This is also progressing well, with a net 9% reduction to date, and firm plans to deliver more than 15% by the end of 2009. In retail, we're also on target for reducing headcount by 9,500 people as part of the U.S. convenience decapitalization program. Turning now to costs, this chart shows our cost performance indexed to 2004. As the bars indicate, I'm pleased to report that after many years of significant cost growth, in 2008, refining and marketing's cost base was held essentially flat relative to 2007. This was in the face of strong inflationary pressures. The dark line represents indexed costs adjusted for energy, foreign exchange, and portfolio. This shows that underlying costs have begun to come down, the first time in at least five years. Given the current environment and economic situation, further cost efficiency is a key focus for us as we go into 2009, and we're likely to see positive effects from deflation in our supply chains as we drive reductions in third-party costs, the full benefits of simplification and overhead reductions, and as we drive a sustainable cost management culture into our performance units. In addition, the longer-term and more structural cost efficiency arising from a move to business service centers and common end-to-end -end processes built around SAP-based systems will deliver real benefits. We're well underway in Europe and have clear plans for the U.S. and Asia. So that ends what I wanted to cover on the first full year of the turnaround of refining and marketing and where we are on the journey. Before concluding, I'd now like to spend a few minutes on the strengths and weaknesses of our portfolio and a brief summary of our investment plans going forward. As we work on turning around the segment, it's important not to lose sight of the fact that a large part of the portfolio is materially advantaged relative to the competition. Four out of six of our integrated fuels value chains have advantaged competitive positions in which good refining scale and configuration is combined with strong logistics and marketing positions. In petrochemicals, our aromatics and acetyls portfolio of leading global positions and technologies, and SECO, our major olefins and derivatives complex south of Shanghai, give us an advantaged petrochemicals portfolio significantly weighted towards the growth markets of Asia. Lubricants has been performing extremely well, and we're very proud of what's been achieved since the acquisition of Castrol in 2000. Through a combination of BP's business and cost focus and Castrol's premium products, brand, and marketing capabilities, we've established a track record of improved efficiency and premium sales growth. Today, our lubricants operation is perhaps the leading business in its sector. In global fuels, we've strong brands, good asset positions, and supply optimization, and excellent customer relationship management. BP is one of the leading oil traders, and through our integrated supply and trading of crude oil and products, we can expand the overall margin capture in our value chains. In technology, we have distinctive leadership positions in lubricant formulations and petrochemical processes. Lastly, BP has amassed a portfolio of some of the strongest fuel and convenience brands in the industry. All of this underpins R&M's innate ability to be an advantaged leading player. However, we need to improve those areas where our portfolio is not as strong. We've been working on this for a number of years now and making real progress. 
As always, there's a lot to do, and the competition are continuously moving forward. But I'm confident that we're pursuing the right things as we deliver a leading and sustainable competitive portfolio. So firstly, let me cover the major milestones we've completed prior to this year in repositioning our portfolio. These are shown in gray. In 05, we concluded that our commodity olefin and derivative petrochemicals in the US and Europe were not advantaged, and we sold them to INEOS. In Europe, we've repositioned our refining portfolio away from UK gasoline length and into a refinery in Rotterdam, which is world scale, more integrated into the Rhine, and has the potential for major process improvement. We've moved away from a fragmented approach to our business, and through establishing the fuels value chains, we're returning to a more logical, integrated, end-to-end -end value chain business. We've also materially refocused the footprint of lubricants, air, and U.S. convenience. Then there are two things which are our current project focus in 2009, shown in green. We've significantly improved the margin capability in the Iberia fuels value chain through the completion of the new coker at the Castillon refinery. The unit will approximately double the profitability of the refinery at mid-cycle conditions, and I'm pleased to say it came on stream in February. Lastly, in the Midwest, we've aligned Toledo to Canadian heavy oil via our Husky transaction, and in one of the largest investments we've ever made in R&M, we're creating real feedstock and location advantage through the multi-billion dollar modernization project at Whiting. I'd like to talk about that project briefly. The crude oil flows in North America are shifting from being largely south to north to a situation in which Canadian flows will compete with Gulf Coast feedstock in the U.S. mid-continent. BP's Whiting Refinery is a world-scale plant located close to the Canadian border with strong infrastructure and integrated into the Midwest value chain. Repositioning Whiting towards heavy crude oil delivers a refinery which can take full advantage of Canadian freight differentials, the light heavy spread, and shift the yield of the refinery to higher value products. The project is well underway with most long lead items purchased and fabricated and the major contracts let. We expect the repositioned Whiting to come on stream in 2012. Beyond these structural portfolio improvements, today our focus must be on delivering better performance from the portfolio we have. Through better overall reliability, the, deliv the delivery of excellent performance at Texas City now that the units have been commissioned. And as I mentioned earlier, a major part of our agenda for the next two years relates to improving the sustainable cost efficiency of R&M. Finally, I'd like to touch on our investment plans for R&M in the current environment. Again, this slide is an update of the one shown last year. We plan to invest about $4 billion of CapEx in 2009, approaching 20% lower than in 2008. Investment will remain predominantly weighted towards manufacturing, with most directed to refining. The largest single component of the refining investment is the project at Whiting. Our investments in petrochemicals will be lower in 2009, although in China we're debottlenecking the cracker at Seco and bringing on stream a new acetic acid plant at Nanjing. We're reducing the investment levels into our fuels marketing activities, logistics, and convenience retail. Other than the major investment into whiting, these levels represent reinvestment at approximately the level of depreciation, which is appropriate in the current market context. So to summarize, R&M's made a lot of progress in 08 with major improvements in safety, in operations, in margin capture, and cost management. 
We've closed half the performance gap, or about $2 billion pre-tax RCP. We have established a sound platform upon which we can build, and we have considerable momentum as we enter 2009. In 2009, the major focus will be moving from revenue restoration and simplification to sustainable performance delivery and cost efficiency, which are critical as we respond to the current economic environment. Ladies and gentlemen, we're very much on track to close the performance gap in advance of 2011 and to meet the three goals I set out last year, the delivery of safe and reliable operations, the restoration of earnings momentum, and the delivery of sustainable competitive returns and cash flows. I look forward to updating you on our further progress in a year's time. I'll now hand over to Andy. Ian, thank you. It's a great pleasure to see so many of you here today and to have the opportunity to demonstrate the strategic progress made in our exploration and production business in 2008 and what this means going forward. 2008 was a very good year for E&P. We delivered a resource replacement ratio of 283%, a reserve replacement ratio of 121%, our 15th consecutive year, a reserve replacement ratio greater than 100%. We also grew production with our major projects starting up on time and strong, reliable performance from our existing operations. And we held cash costs flat with 2007, despite an inflationary environment for the first three quarters of the year. But the big message I want you to take away from today, that our world-class resource base and improving track record for execution gives us confidence in the future. In particular, it gives us the confidence to expect growth. Last year, we said we expected to grow production to 2012 and that we could maintain it out to 2020 from existing projects. But the picture is quietly and steadily improving. Today, I can tell you that we expect to grow production between 1% and 2% out to 2013 based on existing projects and that we have the potential to continue that growth rate out to 2020. But we are not just focusing on volume growth. We're also focusing on efficiency and quality. We are responding to the current environment by driving efficiency into everything we do, both cash cost efficiency and capital efficiency. As this is a strategy presentation, I thought I'd recap what our strategy is for ENP. Our strategy is to focus on exploration of the world's most prolific hydrocarbon basins, building leadership positions in these areas, managing the decline of our existing producing assets, and developing and applying new technology to increase the overall recovery factor from our resource base. Our activities are underpinned by our resource base, which is biased to conventional hydrocarbons. It's good for all seasons, even the stormy season we are now in. Let's take a look at our resource base, first without TNKBP and then including TNKBP. Excluding TNKBP in 2008, we added 5.1 billion barrels to our resources, made up of 2.3 billion from purchases, Canadian oil sands from Husky and North American gas shales from Chesapeake, 1.5 billion from the drill bit, including both discoveries and extensions, and 1.4 billion from improved recovery and revisions. With production of 1.1 billion barrels, this resulted in net growth in our resource base of some 4 billion barrels, 
extending its life from 36 to 39 years. And we progress 1.3 billion barrels of non-proved resources to proved reserves, a reserve replacement ratio using SEC reported reserve additions of 117%, excluding A&D. With TNK included, our reserve replacement ratio on this basis was essentially the same at 121%. Reserves were added across the portfolio with important contributions from our businesses in Angola, Azerbaijan, North America Gas, and TNK BP. 55% of the reserves added were conventional oil, 30% were conventional gas, and 15% were tight gas and other non-conventionals. The year-end price had a negative effect on our reserve replacement ratio. The reduction in our tax and royalty regimes more than offset increases in PSCs. Using annual average prices, the basis of the new SEC reserve reporting guidelines, our reserve replacement ratio would have been 175%. Three activities drive growth in our resource base, new access, exploration, and technology. I'd now like to take you through those one by one, giving some examples. First, access. We had another successful year of access in 2008 to both undeveloped resources and exploration acreage with a good balance between oil and gas and between tax and royalty and PSC regimes. In March 2008, we concluded the integrated oil sands refinery deal with Husky. A key aspect of the deal was to create an integrated position with high-quality upstream resource linked to an upgraded U.S. refinery, allowing BP to capture the full value chain. In the middle of last year, we deepened our position in North America's shale gas through two deals with Chesapeake, close to our incumbent position in the Arcoma Basin. Strategically, this gives us a material position with technology upside in three top-tier shale basins and creates a balanced portfolio of conventional gas, tight gas, coal bed methane, and now shale gas in the world's biggest natural gas market. Initial results from our shale assets are encouraging. Average production rates from our recent Woodford wells show a 50% improvement on our initial expectations, demonstrating the robustness of this element of our North America gas business. In terms of access to new exploration acreage, we complete the Libya exploration deal and were successful in lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico. We also accessed our first exploration block in the east coast of India. We were also the successful bidder on three exploration licenses totaling 6,000 square kilometers in the Arctic Canadian Offshore Continental Shelf, or OCS. This is a particularly exciting prospect for the future. Arctic OCS is one of the most significant global renewal op renewable opportunities containing some 20% of the world's yet-to-find hydrocarbons. Let me now say a little more about Libya as an example of our access success. Libya has given BP a leading acreage holding that builds on our position in adjacent countries of North Africa. In the deep water of the Sirt Basin, we access 30,000 square kilometers and of emerging play fairway. To put this into perspective, this area equates to the size of Belgium or 1,300 Gulf of Mexico deep water blocks. The deep water cert is the offshore extension of the prolific onshore cert basin where most of Libya's production comes from. In the onshore Gadamas area, we access 23,000 square kilometers 
of the proven Paleozoic gas play. We've been working this fairway successfully in the Elysee Basin of Algeria, which contains our Inaminas field. Together with our partner, the Libyan Investment Corporation, we've commenced seismic operations both offshore and onshore areas at the end of last year. We anticipate the first wells will be drilled between 2010 and 2012. Any big access depends on the critical ability to develop relationships, something that is core to our strategy at BP. These two projects are a significant mutual commitment by BP and Libya to the future of oil and gas development in Libya. And they provide the opportunity for us to use our proven expertise in exploration, onshore gas, and deep water developments to build a material new profit center. Moving to the second strand of activity that underpins growth of our resource base, exploration. I'm proud to say that 2008 was one of BP's best years in the past decade for exploration. In total, we made 13 new field discoveries from exploration in 2008. The most significant ones are out outlined on the map on this slide. Importantly, we participated in four of the most significant discoveries reported globally in 2008. According to the current IHS database, this is leading performance amongst the super majors. Our discoveries range from opening up new plays to extending the life of mature ones. For example, in Egypt, we opened up a significant new play with a Satis well in the Nile Delta. In Algeria, we completed a test that significantly extended the Elysee Basin resource. And we continue to find new growth opportunities in places where we already have production operations. These include two Miocene discoveries in the Gulf of Mexico in BP's Mississippi Canyon uh, heartland. Kodiak is close to one of our existing tubular bell discoveries, and Freedom is potentially large enough to be a standalone development. We also made two discoveries in Angola with Dion and Leda, giving us a total of 17 discoveries in Block 31. These will underpin three to four new hub developments. And even in the heavily explored North Sea, we have found new resource through our Keneal discovery. This is valuable as it can be produced through our existing Andrew infrastructure at a competitive development cost. We also have a strong portfolio of exploration opportunities. So in 2009, we expect to sustain exploration investment at 2008 levels. The Gulf of Mexico is a good example of how our approach to exploration has built a material profit center in the past 20 years. In fact, based on Wood Mackenzie data, BP is a leading resource holder in the deep water Gulf of Mexico. And now with Thunder Horse Online, we're the largest producer. BP also holds the largest net acreage position. We further strengthened it with our successful lease sale access in 2008. This acreage position supports our exploration program through 2015, which targets three areas. Expansion in the highly productive Miocene play fairway that has delivered Thunder Horse and Atlantis, and has a pipeline of development projects including Dorado, King South, Puma, Tubular Bells, Kodiak, and Freedom. Continued exploration of Palagene, where we already have a material discovery at Cascada, an exploration of a new deep gas play in the shallow water of the Gulf of Mexico. The third strand of activity underpinning our resource base is technology. 
It's an important truth in our business that the conversion of resources to reserves and ultimately production is dependent on the application of technology. BP is well placed in this regard. The scale of our resource base enables us to use technology to access a significant prize. A 1% improvement in recovery factor on the original hydrocarbons in place equates to 2 billion barrels of additional resources. As we highlighted last year, we have created 10 flagship programs, each of which has the potential to deliver more than 1 billion barrels of oil equivalent of reserves. In 2009, we expect to sustain our technology investment on these programs at 2008 levels. Let me give you an example. The Pushing Reservoir Limits flagship provides a suite of enhanced oil recovery technologies, including those targeted at improving water flood efficiency in our conventional and deep water oil fields, which represent some 60% of our proved reserves. Take one technique, bright water. Bright water technology deploys a new interwell polymer treatment which improves water flood recovery. When warmed at reservoir temperatures, the polymers expand to block pathways where injection water has already swept oil out of the rocks and divert that water to an unswept area of the reservoir. BP has led the industry in the application of these polymer treatments. The initial field trials were in Alaska, but the technology is highly transferable. We have now performed more than 25 treatments in waterford operations in Alaska, Argentina, and Pakistan. So far, these have delivered an increase of over 6 million barrels of reserves at a development cost of less than $6 per barrel. So let me now turn to where this takes us, our production outlook. Our strategy has resulted in a portfolio of focused, large-scale positions around the world, which is well-placed for sustainable volume growth. That growth requires two things. First, getting the most from our incumbent positions through enhancing access to existing resources through more efficient drilling and better reservoir management, increasing recovery factors through the application of new technologies such as bright water, and finally, continuously improving the safety and reliability of our operations. The second source of growth is the reliable delivery of our major projects. The scale of these resource positions allows us to adopt standardized program approaches for our major projects to improve capital efficiency and reduce execution risk. Production is expected to grow in 2009, and our portfolio has the potential to grow at an annual average rate of 1% to 2% over the next five years. The actual growth rate will depend on a number of factors, including our pace of capital spending and the efficiency of that spend, in turn depending on industry cost deflation, the oil price and PSC effects, and OPEC quota restrictions. Growth at a steady 1% to 2% may sound less exciting than the projections made by some companies. But we need to pause and remember the actual track record over the decades since the wave of mergers created today's super majors. The reality is there has been little or no growth from any of the super majors, despite the many promises that have been made. Every single company has fallen short of the goal set at the time of the mergers. The reasons have been many, but the outcomes have been the same. Some companies are clearly shrinking. 
Once that process begins, we know you have to work hard to reverse it. BP has done better than most, helped by our successful entry into Russia, partly offset by a disposal program that high-graded our portfolio. Our industry-leading track record of access and exploration success has given us great potential to grow. Over the past year, we have begun to realize that potential. In fact, as Tony said, we were the only super major to grow in 2008. I'd like to give you some more detail on how we're doing that, starting with our drilling performance. The standard industry measure of drilling efficiency is days per 10,000 feet. Between 2007 and 2008, we've delivered a 15% efficiency improvement on our days per 10K across the portfolio. We've done this through applying a common process everywhere we drill, setting technical limits for the activity, and having deep engagement with the front line. About half of our annual drilling and completion spend of $7 billion is impacted by days per 10K. So 15% equates to some $500 million of savings. I hope you agree this is material. And we're now implementing a similar approach to our production operations through the implementation of OMS. This is allowing us to systematically drive continuous improvement throughout our business from the bottom up. During 2008, we started the, mig the migration to OMS across the business. By year-end, the majority of our operations in North America gas, the Gulf of Mexico, Colombia, and the Endicott field in Alaska were using it. We're planning to fully implement OMS in, in all our operations by end 2010. In parallel, we're growing the capability of our operating leadership through the Operations Academy, which is building on the success of the Projects Academy, also at MIT. Turning to production costs, as this slide shows, over the, the last four years, rising commodity prices and global economic growth led to increasingly high levels of sector-specific inflation. That was experienced not just by us, but by our peer group too. 2008 was the year we brought this escalation to a halt. We are now endeavoring to put it into reverse. It's a, this is a key part of our response to the turbulent economic environment. As you can see, we've made a good start in improving cost efficiency by holding our production costs per BOE essentially flat, despite higher energy costs and sector-specific inflation in the first three quarters of 2008. We keep hearing about deflation, and what I've said to my team is that we want to see it in our supply chain. So we're now taking advantage of the current environment to begin to drive cost deflation. We're working with all of our suppliers to reduce rates in response to rapidly deflating input prices such as energy and steel. We're also working with our suppliers to improve efficiency by finding better ways to execute activity. As one important caveat, safe and reliable operations come first, whatever cost efficiency measures we undertake, and we continue to advance the safety and reliability of our operations through implementing OMS. Turning to our major projects, we continue to build on our track record of improving execution. In 2008, we sanctioned seven and started up nine major projects on time, including the world's largest semi-sub platform, Thunderhorse. 
Thunderhorse North has now started up with two wells online. Together with the four wells already producing in the south, that means we have more than enough well potential to reach full capacity of 280,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. We've already achieved 260,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, making Thunderhorse the second largest producing field in North America after Prudhoe Bay, which we also operate. Delivery of Thunderhorse has been technically challenging, but the technology developed and applied here will benefit the next wave of our developments in the deep water Gulf of Mexico. In addition to Thunderhorse, we saw the successful startup of major projects in other parts of the world, Sakar and Tort in Egypt, Angel in Australia, Deepwater Ganashli in Azerbaijan, and Mondo and Saxi Batuk in Angola. In aggregate, the 2008 startups have delivered ahead of plan. In 2009, we expect to bring on stream a further seven major projects, including the second phase of Atlantis. These startups remain on track. We continue to make good progress on the Tangu Gas Project in Indonesia, and we're on track to export the first commercial cargo of LNG in the second quarter of this year. The other projects shown in the slide are post-FID and underpin production growth over the next five years. Over half of the projects are considered conventional oil. These near-term startups are expected to add around 600,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day by 2013. Our positions in the rapidly developing market for LNG are also an important part of our growth story. In 2008, we saw the start of gas supply into Train 1 of the sea gas plant in Egypt and Train 5 of Northwest Shelf in Australia. This enabled us to grow our equity into LNG plants by 12%. We, we also supplied 2.2 billion cubic feet per day to LNG plants in Trinidad and Tobago, Australia, Indonesia, and Egypt. Competitively, this volume is second to Shell and ahead of Tatel, ExxonMobil, and Chevron. In 2009, we expect to continue this growth by increasing our supply of gas going to LNG plants by 15% mostly driven by the ramp-up of Tangu. This growth is expected to continue to total over 650 million cubic feet per day by 2013. Beyond this, Tangu Phase 2 has the potential to add a further 200 million cubic feet per day. We also have market access through ownership interests in regas capacity in Bilbao and Guangdong, and access to additional capacity in the U.S. at Cove Point and Elba Island and in the UK at the Isle of Grain. This allows us to market and trade both our equity LNG and third-party contracted supplies in Egypt and Oman. As Tony said earlier, a key element of BP's strategy is to grow our EMP business, and we will continue to invest to support that growth. The results of the increasing investment we have made between 2004 and 2008 will show through in the next five years. And together with our track record of greater than 100% reserve replacement, supports our projection of growth out to 2013. We expect our organic investment to total around 15 to 16 billion in, in 2009, which adjusted for inflation maintains our track record of investment to support growth. Also shown in the chart is TNK BP and Pan American Energy CapEx. Neither is reported as BP's capital expenditure 
Both are important components of our investment proposition. TNK, BP, and Pan American are able to fund investments from their own cash flow. BP has a long-standing track record of competitive finding and development costs. Based on the quality of our resource position, I'm confident that we are well-placed to continue to invest to grow in the EMP business over the long term. We have good visibility of the projects that we expect to deliver that growth. Those with growth capacity of over 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day or higher are shown on this slide. The list of smaller projects is, included, is excluded. This is a globally diverse opportunity set and remains biased to conventional resources. Our existing portfolio provides the potential to sustain production growth to 2020 at 1% to 2%, with no new access or exploration success. However, we would expect to do better than that with additional access and new discoveries. So let me now conclude by summarizing the key points about the strategic progress of ENP in 2008. We finished the year with strong momentum. We delivered a volume growth. Our existing operations continued to perform. We had nine major projects start up on time. We extended our track record of more than 100% reserve replacement to 15 years. We expect to grow production out to 2013. The projects are there, and we've been investing for growth. But our story doesn't stop there. Our resource base is biased towards conventional resources. It is competitive in a range of environments and is well diversified. It gives us the potential to grow volume at 1% to 2% right out to 2020. And we are responding to the current environment by exploiting the advantages of our scale by driving continuous improvement and efficiency into our operations. This is a compelling picture of both growth in volume and sustained quality. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And I'll hand you back to Tony. <clears throat> Thanks, Andy. It's great to see E&P benefiting from new management. Before I wrap up, let me say a few words on the progress of our alternative energy business. As I said earlier, our strategy in alternative energy is to invest in a focused and disciplined way in the areas where we believe we can create the greatest competitive advantage. And in that respect, 2008 was a successful year. Solar sales increased more than 40%, and we optimized our solar manufacturing footprint by closing less efficient facilities in Sydney and some lines in Madrid. In wind, we made a strategic decision to focus our portfolio in the US, where we believe we have the most attractive opportunities. BP has the third largest wind portfolio in the country. In biofuels, we started production from our joint venture in Brazil. This is the largest single investment in Brazilian biofuels by an international oil company. We also entered a strategic alliance to accelerate the development and commercialization of biofuels produced from lignocellulosic bioethanol. Overall investment in alternative energy in 2008 was $1.4 billion. Despite the economic downturn, we believe that a disciplined approach to alternative energy continues to offer good opportunities. In solar, we plan to continue to optimize our manufacturing footprint, including the development of Asian manufacturing options. In wind, we intend to continue to build out our US portfolio. And in biofuels, we have a three-part strategy, 
One, the expansion of our Brazilian position. Two, the demonstration of biobutanol, biobutanol commercialization. And three, the development of lignocellulosic conversion technology. And finally, we plan to continue to invest in our hydrogen energy venture in Abu Dhabi in conjunction with our Mazda to demonstrate pre-combustion hydrogen power technology. This is a 420 megawatt power plant with CO2 capture. The CO2 is planned to be used for enhanced oil recovery in nearby oil fields. In 2009, we expect investment of between $500 million and $1 billion in alternative energy. Before concluding, I'd like to address how we are responding to the current environment and how our financial framework enables us to deal with it. Our goal is clear, to continue to invest for long-term growth while retaining our focus on safe and reliable operations, paying the dividend and driving deflation into our cost base. At BP, we have a mantra that every dollar counts and every seat counts, and we intend to follow it through. We have momentum on both cost control and in our operations. Production is expected to continue to grow, and refining availability is expected to be materially higher in 2009 than in 2008. These improvements in our underlying business are expected to add to our cash flows in 2009. Our portfolio is well positioned to weather the current storm, helped by a deep focus on technology. We have positions in many of the world's leading hydrocarbon basins and relatively low exposure to higher cost upstream options such as tar sands and gas to liquids conversion. Focusing specifically on costs, we started more than 18 months ago in our drive to counter the cost inflation that developed alongside rising oil prices. As you can see, we managed to halt that inflationary trend in 2008, despite the continued rise in oil prices for most of the year. Our aim in 2009 is to begin to roll back the inflationary trend by driving deflation into our business. How realistic is this? Well, we're seeing early signs of it happening already. Historically, US oil and gas equipment prices have lagged behind oil prices by between 12 and 18 months. The market is beginning to soften, and over the last few months, we've already seen sharp drops in the price of steel and petrochemicals. Our approach will be a proactive one, and we intend to use our significant global purchasing power to negotiate better contracts. Based on the actions we took in 2008 and the deflation we can already see entering our supply chain, we expect our costs to fall by around $2 billion in 2009. Let me now talk about our investment plans for 2009. In this environment, there's an opportunity for those who are prepared to look beyond today and to invest in readiness for the upturn whenever it comes. We're planning to keep our overall level of capital spending broadly the same in 2009 compared with 2008. In our refining and marketing and alternative energy businesses, we are reducing investment. In E&P, by contrast, we're maintaining investment whilst vigorously driving down costs. The last few years have been a poor time to put capital onto the balance sheet. The next few may be a lot better. In 2009, we expect divestments to be in the region of $2 to $3 billion. 
To support these plans, we have a long-established financial framework that stood the test of time, which we believe is good for all seasons, including the current one. Our objective has been to distribute to shareholders 100% of all free cash flows in excess of investment needs. Over the last seven years, we've returned a total of $105 billion, around half via dividend and half via share buybacks. In 2008, following feedback from investors, we took the decision to weight returns towards dividends and away from buybacks. As a result, we increased the dividend per share in dollar terms by 30%. Turning to gearing, our approach has been consistent and prudent, some may say old-fashioned. Of course, some gearing is efficient for shareholders, and over the last seven years, for most of the time, we've stayed within our targeted range of 20 to 30%. We ended 2008 with gearing at 21%, close to the lower end of our target band. We believe this 20 to 30% range remains the right one, providing us with both an efficient capital structure and flexibility. Our access, or ability to access the debt markets, remains excellent. Despite the pressure in the financial markets, BP has had continued access to both the short-term commercial paper and bond markets. In the long-term debt markets, we issued $7.5 billion of new bonds in 2008, including $4.6 billion in the volatile fourth quarter, for which we saw healthy demand. In 2009, we had between $5 and $6 billion of bond maturities to refinance. Bond and commercial paper markets have opened strongly in 2009, reflecting strong investor demand, especially for highly rated corporates. We expect good access to continue. With regard to our cost of borrowing, BP continues to issue commercial paper at very low rates, only slightly above US Fed funds. BP's bond credit spreads have widened, as with all other corporates, but have been offset by the fall in underlying government rates. On average, therefore, we expect BP's average cost of borrowing in 2009 to be the same as or slightly lower than 2008. This slide shows that our financial framework has stood us in good stead throughout a volatile decade. Our aim remains to balance cash inflows and outflows over time. When oil prices rise faster than costs, as in 2005 and 2006, we had a surplus above investment and dividend requirements, which at that time we chose to distribute by way of share buybacks. When oil prices fall, we expect there will be a similar period of adjustment before costs realign. The strength of our balance sheet gives us the flexibility to maintain investment and dividends whilst that adjustment takes place. Past experience shows that if oil prices remain low for an extended period, then both costs and fiscal regimes are likely to adjust, and we're already seeing evidence of this. Based on our current plans, we expect cash inflows and outflows in 2009 to balance at an oil price of around $60 a barrel. That break-even point should fall as we realize the benefits of our operational momentum and our action on costs. We remain confident in our ability to strike the right balance for our shareholders between continued investment for long-term growth, delivering returns today via the dividend, and prudent management of our gearing level. So to conclude, 2009 will undoubtedly be a challenging year 
but one that we intend to meet head-on and turn to our advantage. Our strategy is an enduring one. We are delivering upstream growth and production is expected to grow again this year. In the downstream, the turnaround is underway. Operational momentum has been restored and we expect to see the benefit of this in 2009. Costs are expected to continue to fall and we expect underlying revenues to continue to grow. At BP, the future has not been cancelled. We've been here for 100 years and our resolve is as strong as ever. I'm confident that BP can face the next 100 years with pride and a renewed sense of purpose. The task we face today is to strike the right balance for shareholders between investing for the future, providing current returns via the dividend, and in ensuring an appropriate and prudent level of gearing. Our view is that the right current balance is to both continue to pay the dividend and to maintain investment to grow the firm and use the capacity of our balance sheet whilst the industry cost structure adjusts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I hope that today we've given you some sense of the progress we're making.